Hey there, beloved listeners. Just wanted to give you a heads up. There's a little bit of audio problems on this episode, which we did not realize was happening until after we finished recording. I did my best to fix it in post, but there's a little bit of crackle on one of the microphones uh, due to computer processing stuff that I don't truly understand. We apologize in advance and hope that you are able to see past it to enjoy a pretty fun episode. Now back to our regularly scheduled podcast. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to be a little, uh, I might get a little loopy because I couldn't stop coughing last night and I looked in the, the mirror and my okay. my throat had like almost sealed completely shut. Oh, shit. Well, you All were right. with me. So you were with me. So you heard me coughing. Um, yeah, I heard you coughing. I didn't realize your but, throat was closing. Yeah. So uh, I went I went over to the, the clinic and they uh, decided to give me a shot of uh, of steroids right in my butt. <laughs> Did they give you an enema too? <laughs> okay no 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 yeah well they no, I, asked, here. I mean but yeah. um they they wouldn't do it they're like what's that gonna do <laughs> well it's all kind of the same circuit right right yeah, just, you know load up that thing and push real hard <laughs> isn't the colonoscopy the right treatment for this the the rectal lavage <laughs> Yes, the other butt cheek. They gave me a uh, a shot of like an antibiotic just in case um, to make sure that that's not you know wasn't something going on. So they did that, and and you said, uh, wait, 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 I want Rob to do this. But what's funny was like she's like, you know, I'm gonna shoot you in your left cheek and your right cheek, and I was like, uh, okay. But so she's like, hey, and until she said, put your hands on the table and bend over, I didn't know which cheek she was talking about. <laughs> so like so like i did it and i pulled down my pants like thinking cheek thinking side and she's like yeah she's like what are you doing not for the first time i like pull down you need to get to my butt no just like pull down like right to the top of the waistband oh (laughs) whoops so (laughs) but very nice by the way yeah yeah so i'm 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 now a sex offender and we have started off the podcast in the one way that Jimmy fears the most, talking about my butt. <laughs> you are listening to the Gimme Five Podcast, episode 66. This is the Gimme 5 Podcast, a semi-entertaining show about very entertaining things. My name is Omar. I'm here with Rob and Greg. Jimmy, your favorite host, is not here tonight because he attempted to murder Greg with some poison nog. Hey, yeah, I survived. He <laughs> just barreled right through that. <laughs> Good job. Yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah, episode 66. That means in 600 episodes, we are going to have a star-studded episode dedicated to Satan. <laughs> Satan. Looking forward to that. Everybody's favorite. Looking forward to that. Yeah. It'll be a very happy Satan. Yeah. We discuss pop culture, entertainment, and a little bit of nostalgia. This week, we've got Mary Poppins, the Poppinsing, and Bumblebee. Yes. And yes. Uh, so our disclaimer... Not actually the title, but it doesn't matter because it was terrible. <laughs> so our, my disclaimer here, first of all, as you heard, we've got Omar here. Welcome, Omar. Thank you for joining us again. It's been thank about you. a year, I believe. Yes, thank you, Omar. Something like that. Yeah, Jim. uh, Jimmy is away. Undisclosed location. And while the Jimmy is away, the kids you end away. up with, yeah, 
But we, uh, yeah, so he is, uh, he is on vacation doing Christmassy things. And that is the other part of this is usually we are a little more scripted on this podcast because we have a little bit of time to set up notes and do things. But this episode is going to be slightly less scripted. So, so I Omar apologize. is our coin- appointed supervisor. That's a terrible idea. Yes, and that's a problem. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> but, so we're going to, you know, we, we're going to talk about the movies. We're going to talk about that kind of stuff. We are a little less scripted than usual. So, you know, we apologize in advance. And if you like this show better than all the <laughs> other ones, I have uh, concerns. That's so, better. That being said, here is your spoiler warning. We review stuff. We review stuff that just came out in the theaters this past week. Therefore, we might spoil some stuff. We will probably spoil some stuff. If it's a major twist. We're going to spoil some stuff. Yes. If it's a major twist that will ruin your enjoyment of said movie, then you might not want to listen to that part. We give you guys a little bit of warning right here. So if it is something you've not seen, read, listened to, then use your own discretion. I don't want to hear about it. He's lying. He wants to hear about it. And how would I hear about it, Rob? Well, if you do want to complain about us spoiling things for you, you can find us on Facebook by searching for the Give Me Five podcast. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Give Me Five Pod. You can also email us, Give Me Five Podcast at gmail.com. And always leave us a review on iTunes, whatever podcast app you're using. It really helps us stand out. Maybe not if you're mad at us for spoiling things, but just in general, let us know how we're doing. Also, there happens to be a store. A store? That's right. That's right. Holy shitballs. What can they buy, Rob? What can they buy? They can buy all their Give Me Five podcast merchandise. So you can get your, you know, your Give Me Five podcast rubber bands. There are no rubber bands. You can get your Give Me Five. No. Wait, they're not? What about potholders? Nope. Nobody needs potholders. (laughs) What the hell kind of a crap store are we running? Oh, yeah. It's a party now. Uh, there's T-shirts, there's stickers, there's cell phone cases, there's uh, laundry bags, there's there's shower curtains, shower mats, uh, uh, that kind of stuff. Mugs, underwear? travel mugs. I, there's not underwear. We need some Give Me Five underwear. Get on, get okay. on that, Greg. See what I can do. Make it happen. Continue. I don't often, I don't often treat myself during the Yuletide season, but this year I did actually get myself a uh, Give Me Five podcast phone case for my iPhone. Ooh. So I'm very excited to get nice. that. Excellent. Very excited nice. to get that. Nice. It actually is being that's what Jimmy's doing. He's hand delivering that cell phone case to you. <laughs> Hopefully on his tricycle. Yes. <laughs> I want to see him barreling down I-95 cool. on a tricycle. <laughs> <laughs> Who wouldn't want their ass to say give me five? Exactly. I mean, come For on. sure. Exactly. Yeah. We need the underwear. Uh go ahead. So also <laughs> <laughs> also through our Lipson page. You can find our Amazon link. Now, it doesn't cost you any extra money, but if you click on that link and do whatever post-Christmas shopping it is that you're going to do, perhaps you missed some gifts, perhaps you forgot some people that you need to, you know, get some gifts for, you can click on that link and it doesn't cost you anything extra. But it takes a little bit of portion from the Amazon conglomerate and sends it to us at the Give Me Five podcast. Where we spend it on tranquilizers for Rob. <laughs> As needed. Sometimes. Yes. Sometimes it's speed. So, anything new, guys? Well, I saw some things. Uh, you I know, some actually, things. I don't know if you want to talk I about some this. things I can't talk about. There may be police officers listening. Uh, Rob, did you want to talk about the new stuff from Galaxy's Edge, or am I the only one that saw that? 
Because you are you, oh, you are a resident yeah. Disney person. I I am not up on that. Okay. What did you see new? So they did release on Christmas Day. They released some videos and stuff. It, they were kind of interesting. They started off with John Williams recording music, and then it kind of, as the, the orchestra was playing, they showed some stuff from the various uh, openings of uh, Disney, the Star Wars area of Disneyland in Anaheim, and, of course, in Hollywood Studios in Orlando. So that's going to be uh, opening in the summer for Anaheim and fall for Orlando. God, Orlando in fall is going to be freaking insane with the Star Wars stuff opening and Halloween Horror Nights. Oh, my God. Anyway, uh, they did show you some clips of the Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run. Uh, you basically are in the cockpit okay. of the fastest ship in the galaxy, and you are flying around and destroying things. And you, it looks like the people on the ride with you actually all take a part in the thing, where one person is actually piloting, one person is acting as the gunner, one person is, like, you know, doing the C-3PO or R2-D2 fix-it kind of thing. Uh, and if you're me, you are vomiting onto the little chessboard in the back. <laughs> nice. So that was cool, but I was a little worried because I'm like, well, if everything is a thrill ride that involves a movie, then I'm screwed because I can't do that stuff. Like I did Star Tours twice mm -hmm. just because I had to because I, it's one of my favorite movie series. So I got to see it, you know, and was nauseous for the rest of the day. Ditto. But yeah. it, the other ride is called Star Wars Rise of the Resistance, and it looks like it's actually a slow moving ride. And it looks like it actually is moving uh, through a uh, – looks like you're kind of on one of those trams that, that you see, like, in the the ship docking bay, you know, the and it's going around. Uh, it does go between two full-size ATATs, or ATATs, however you call it. Uh, that is the clip they show. And it, and they say that you will come into contact with Kylo Ren. <gasps> Maybe shirtless Kylo Ren, Kylo Ren. Maybe not shirtless. You don't know. Oh, I'm hoping for shirtless. I know you are. So yeah, that was a little bit about the Star Wars thing right in our backyard, at least mine and Rob's backyard. Mm -hmm. Omar, not your backyard. No Star Wars for you. Not Omar's backyard. Sadly, because that sounds awesome, <laughs> frankly. I'll be in Omar's back. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> Omar's backyard actually has a retirement home and some very interesting ambulances coming and going at late hours of the night. That's true. A yeah. And motion sensor lights, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> He, oh, I know. I, I know where they're posted. He wants you to be able to see. <laughs> Hold on, I have to Google security camera. <laughs> <laughs> okay, anyway. So the other big thing was on Christmas Day that uh, the follow-up to Get Out by Jordan Peele. The trailer was released. It is called Us. It has a pretty creepy poster involving some scissors with like little devil horn looking things on them being clutched in a hand and the movie looks kind of interesting. It's a family returns home from a vacation and finds doppelgangers of themselves that are a little off standing around their house and with murderous intent. And it's got Lupita Nyong'o and Winston Duke as kind of the main stars. And I'm looking forward to that. Winston Duke, of course, was in what movie? Mary Poppins. Rob. I don't know why he was. <laughs> no, not in Mary Poppins. Wayne's world. That's for you, Jimmy. Yeah, He was Mbaka oh. in Black Panther. Oh, and of course, Black Panther. Uh, okay. Infinity War, which I loved. But I loved that character. So I'm looking forward to that movie and to see if we don't get any sophomore slump, which is always a risk when someone releases a movie to huge acclaim and then has to try to match uh, match it. So mm -hmm. I did see a little bit of the commercial for this, and it really does look pretty good. And I know I'm the only person on the planet, but I was not really a fan of um, his first one, the the big, what was it called? Uh, Get out. Get out. I just did. I didn't. I, I just didn't think it was that great. But this really looks 
He's actually telling you to get out. <laughs> no, actually, he was—he wasn't as big a fan yeah. either. I was. No, I—I I wasn't. I—I'm in the same boat as Omar. I, it just didn't really. I, yeah, I was like, eh. I just—it was fine, but I think it was so oversold that it was disappointing when I finally saw it. It wasn't terrible, but it wasn't the movie of the year or anything. But this movie looks pretty damn good, and I'm not really like a horror movie thriller guy. But this looks. I really like the premise of the doppelganger situation. I think that's going to be really cool. Mm-hmm. Plus, those actors are so good that seeing them in two different roles at the same time will be interesting. That's a really good point. Also, well, Get Out did leave to lead to one of the best jokes on the trailers that we saw the other day when we were when we went to see Bumblebee. The one tra- the trailer that got the biggest laugh, or the part of a trailer that got the biggest laugh, was uh... <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> didn't black people stop drinking tea after Get Out? <laughs> that's funny. Awesome. I was like, what? <laughs> I don't even know what trailer, what movie that was for. What movie was it? It was the, it was the, the opposite Mel Gibson movie. Oh yeah. What with, men want with the, yeah, what men want with the woman from, uh, from empire. Yeah. And, uh, uh, oh, hidden yeah. figures. Anyway, uh, moving on. I did see, uh, one other funny news story. I'd like to hear what you guys have to think about this one. This is not a snap decision or anything. However, uh, I saw this on Reddit. I don't know the Reddit user's name, but it's basically he said he screwed up by buying all of his family ancestry DNA kits, and he ruined Christmas because <laughs> he bought them for everybody in the family, mm-hmm. which it's kind of weird because if technically it, all of the family, I, it should be – you just need to buy it for the youngest kid, right? Yeah, but they, anyway, got together, gave the kits to their mom, dad, brothers, brother, and two sisters. As soon as everyone opened the gift, my mom started freaking out, and she said, I don't want – them taking them because they have unsafe chemicals in them and we explained that you're not touching chemicals you're just spitting into a tube basically Mm -hmm. and she was still kind of flustered she still tried to convince us that only one person needed to take the kit and they would all sell they would all have the same results they should just resell the kits to save money uh fast forward the kids were downstairs and the parents were up in the in the bedroom fighting and arguing and all the kids are downstairs (laughs) wondering which one of them has a different dad that's so Oh, oh my god! <laughs> now I saw I saw this story earlier, and it turns out it's not the only one like this. There are multiple stories I've seen like this where people are finding out that they're being like someone found out they were being raised by their uncle who, and they thought that person was their dad because the dad was like a no show kind of thing. There's you know a lot of stories like that, like hidden hidden adoptions within family members, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, te- the guy did update though at, since I found this story. <laughs> And uh, apparently the sister's brother and I have not yet decided if we're going to take the test, but the results are we still love each other and our parents no matter what is what they said, what he said. Um, and I th- believe there was a secondary update where they basically said that the whoever the youngest, the oldest sibling was, was from a previous marriage or boyfriend or something. And that person passed away very young and the mom raised that person and got married soon thereafter and didn't want that that wow. girl to be left out. So ah. thus the freak out. There was not, it was not nearly as seedy, but you know, there's people out there that are like, Oh, thanks for the gift. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One child that looks different than every other child in the family. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually reading a book right along these lines called a brief history of everyone <laughs> who ever lived. That does not sound very brief. And, right. And, and the sub, 
<clears throat> well, it's the, the 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 subtitle or secondary title or whatever it's called is the human story retold through our genes. Like denim. So the whole thing is about genetic. <laughs> like I mean, you're you know you got your Jordache, you got your Levi's. Um, is Jordache even a thing anymore? Um, but it's really interesting. Like We're all the old. things that we found out. Yeah. G- through genetics, like it's it's like I've, I've just started the book like maybe a week or two ago. And I don't have time to read, you know, hours every day, but it's just so interesting. I didn't know it would lead to family lead to family disputes like this, but it's really, really interesting. If you're into something like that, I highly recommend it. Fantastic book. My house just got a little bit safer against the uh, coming zombie apocalypse. Was this your circumcision <laughs> knife that you showed me? It it totally is. Totally is. I got a uh, a double star fury crashetti for Christmas. Very 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 nice little piece of hardware. It's uh, scary looking. Yeah. And if I can figure out a way to rig it up, I will carry it. <laughs> How big is this thing? Uh, it's about the length of my forearm. Oh, that's the blade or the whole thing? What are we talking about again? No. <laughs> the blade or the whole thing? Like, if I hold if handle? I hold the handle in my hand and hold it backwards down the length of my arm, it goes to about my elbow. Wow. Damn. Really? Mm-hmm. That's pretty awesome. It's super sweet. That's very cool. Okay. Uh, Omar, anything? Uh, did you have a good Christmas? I did. The big takeaway for me is $6t-shirts.com. Nice. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> it was like amazing. It's so cool. His I entire, got the coolest stuff. He got gifts for his entire family for $18. <laughs> I got two I got two shirts for each daughter and then one for myself that just says science with like a little atomic symbol, just a green t-shirt. Because um, you're a nerd. But, but it's like. There we go. Because I am a nerd, uh, but just like really fun stuff. Like for Delaney, uh, for my older daughter, I got a, uh, I got, um, I got her a sweater that says uh, "Grammar Police" because she's literally the grammar mm. police. It's like she'll correct everything everybody says. But uh, you know, because that's the kind of stuff they have, and it's, it's they're really good. What are, what are we listening to? Nerd alert! <laughs> there you go. I added I um, added some new sound effects to the podcast. I, I couldn't. I, couldn't I actually have a t shirt that says science. I'm one lab accident away from being a supervillain. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> okay, let's get into some of the topics for the week. Uh, the first thing I want to bring up, I kind of don't want to bring up uh, Mary Poppins, <laughs> The Dark Poppins Rises. Uh, I, I think I'm going to miss that one, but um, does anybody have anything to review about that movie? Well, you know, when she, when she shows up in the. Uh, on the on the motorcycle, you know, talking in a gravelly voice, it gets kind of weird. But um, but I, I did on. I did manage to go see Mary Poppins Returns uh, over the weekend. Uh, well, over the over the right before Christmas, um, my girlfriend and my mom really wanted to go see it, so I went with That's them perfect. to see it. And and everybody was very sad that we decided to do that. The the movie itself really just wasn't good. I mean, it was it was almost like they were trying to recapture Mary Poppins using the same formula but with worse music and worse actors. How does one capture a Mary Poppins with like a big cage <laughs> with like some animated penguins in it or tea and crumpets maybe? Um so the the movie itself just was was really lacking. Um the they, they changed up the musical style a little bit. Um, once again, I, I'm not, I'm not sure who it was that actually 
did the music for that. Greg, if you want to check on that for me. Um, but it starred Lynn, Lynn Manuel Miranda and Emily Blunt. Lynn Manuel Miranda played the, essentially the Burt part, the Dick Van Dyke part. And Emily Blunt was Mary Poppins. And then it had, you know, other people in it. Um, but Mary Poppins comes back to save the Banks' children and not necessarily the children of Michael Banks, who was the youngest one, in the, who was the young boy in the movie. They've kind of grown up now, but they're, you know, they're falling apart. And um, because of the abusive nanny that came to their house. Yeah, probably. Probably. Um, uh, the, but that, the music was done by Michael Shaman, uh, who did mm-hmm. stuff for uh, Hairspray, uh, <clears throat> Beaches, When Harry Met Sally, Misery. City Slickers, the Adams family. So he has a ton of stuff. Uh, a few good men. It, it the the music just it, it didn't have the same edge that the that the original Mary Poppins music had. It's not anything that I'm going to be walking around a week from now singing. Thank God, in my head. Oh, thank God. <laughs> the, the the music just wasn't that good. And Emily Blunt. While Emily Blunt, I do believe, is a very good actress. Um, watching her try to reprise Julie Andrews' role was kind of like watching a five-year-old play dress-up in her mom's clothes. I, the, the role just didn't fit. She could, I mean, you, you just can't compare to Julie Andrews. And, and I think she knew that, and she said that was why she didn't watch the actual movie Mary Poppins, um, because she knew that she couldn't compare to Julie Andrews, and she, she just really couldn't. It, it just wasn't. And she this Mary Poppins had a little bit more edge to her, but, I mean, there were even things that, I mean... In the original Mary Poppins movie, when Mary Poppins was was taking the kids through these magical adventures and teaching them things, never once were the kids in danger. And at one point in this in this show, you know, they're in Mary Poppins' little magical world or whatever, and the kids get kidnapped. I'm like, what the hell is going on here? The kids were never in danger in Mary Poppins' magical world. Um, it's yeah, I I, I just I, I couldn't do it. the The best part of the movie, in all honesty. The best part of the movie was the three-minute cameo by Dick Van Dyke at the end of the movie. Really? That's, that, was the, yeah. that was the thing you waited for. Well, not, not you didn't know that you were waiting for it, but... My question with when they do movies like this, and they're remaking something that's so obviously classic as Mary Poppins, even though it's not my cup of tea, so to speak, but but I recognize it as a, a literally beloved classic. <clears throat> when they're sitting around in a, in a boardroom or a writer's room or whatever, yeah. my thing is, what are they thinking? Like... How do you even go to? How do you even begin to approach adding on to this classic movie fifty years later, or however many years later? How, where do you even start to to uh, like? Everyone's going to compare it to the original. Everything that you do is going to be scrutinized to the you know tenth degree or whatever. I I just don't get it. I, I wouldn't. I I don't understand why they would even do it. Yeah, and 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 in all i honestly i don't either um in all honesty the the premise of the story that wasn't bad they had the makings of a decent story um it was just such a big jumbled mess and it was it was all over the place and i'm like where wh- what are we wh- what i mean i i knew where it was going from the moment you know the movie started um Basically, the the premise is, is Michael and Jane Banks are about to lose the house. You know, they signed, they took out a loan. Michael Michael got married. His wife died early. She used to handle all the finances. Things are starting to fall through. He's fallen behind on the payments. They're short on money, um, and they're trying to make ends meet. But the bank kind of, you know, tricked him. The bank has become the evil entity now. Um, kind of tricked him, and they're they're trying to foreclose on his home so that they can take the home and you know increase their portfolio, basically. 
Um, but it all hinges on them finding these lost bank certificates for shares in the bank that, you know, his father used to be a member of, or not a member, but a, um, used to have an administrative like role in or something. And he, he's, he's like president of the bank. He, he supposedly, uh, no, I don't think he was the president, but he was, he was one of the administrators. Um, but he, he supposedly left them a certificate of shares in the bank. And they're like, oh, well, you know, if you have those, that changes everything you have. I, I guess that means he could sell the shares or whatever. Um, but they can't find the paperwork that validates that they actually have the shares. Um, and the evil bank man, you know, finds it in his ledger that they do, in fact, own shares in the bank. But he tells them that he doesn't see it. And unless they can produce the share, the, the share certificate, you know, he can't help them. And, you know, the they, they find the share certificate very early in the movie, but they don't recognize that it's a share. I mean, it's the whole Roger Rabbit thing, you know, where he writes the love letter on the thing and and the will last will and testament and invisible ink shows up at the end of the movie that, you know, Roger Rabbit wrote his love thing on. Um, it, it, it was just really, really predictable. They, like I said, they had a, a decent premise for it, but it was just such a mess that I and and. Completely inexcusable for a Mary Poppins movie was that the music just wasn't good. The musical numbers weren't good, and and they had it. And if you're trying not to get this movie compared to the original Mary Poppins, don't set it up like Mary Poppins. I swear to God, they had musical sequences where you're watching the sequence going, "Oh, okay, so this is supposed to be Step in Time." Okay, this song's supposed to be Chim Chimini Chim Chim Chiru. Um, you know, and it's it's like, uh, oh, this song's supposed to be Jolly Holiday. And it's like, and, and none of the songs that they would have compared to were even remotely as good as the originals. I'm like, what, what are you doing, man? So it was like, they took, it was like, they took a template and just like put new things over it yep. and hoped for the best. Yep, pretty much. And it was, it was okay. not good. So not I, good. I did it. Hold on. And the thing that I don't Very important since you are talking about the Go music. Uh, I did some more looking up as to Mark Shaman. He also wrote the song Uncle Fucka. <laughs> And Blame Canada from nice. uh, South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut. That's How could awesome. it not nice. be good? That is awesome. He, I guess he peaked because in 1999 that's... with that song. <laughs> Apparently. Apparently. And and it just it just gives me more concern that this movie earned a rating of like 78 or something on Rotten Tomatoes. And Mortal Engines, which honestly I thought was a better movie, only got like a 50. I'm like, I don't understand. Yeah. That's fair. It's hard to go by popular opinion a lot of the time. I, I have gone. I've gone on record many times in saying that the first Mary Poppins movie is my least favorite movie of all time. I hate it with the, the passion mm-hmm. of a burn of a thousand burning suns. Um, when they used to, <clears throat> when they used to play it in in elementary school every year, actually right around Christmas time, they would put us in a room and we'd watch it, and and I would actually tell them that I was not allowed to watch it, so I could go play, hang out in the gym and play dodgeball. Because even my fra- my frail, nice bony, unathletic <laughs> self would much rather get. I'm going to regret saying this in front of Rob, but yeah. pounded by balls. I was going to phrase it a little different, but probably worse. I was going to say hit in the face by balls. Um, than to yeah. to see yeah. that. And I've read some recent reviews of You've Mary Poppins, it, like the original, and they were talking about how like just the the spacing of things is off. Like the penguin thing goes is like eight minutes long and an eight minute long musical number now would completely kill a movie. And like how like Mm -hmm. the chimney sweepers just, it's just a bad sequence in general, I think, or whatever song they sing. Is that, that's not chim chimney. The lamplighters. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's a bad sequence. 
and like yeah it, it's um, not and it's like but the funny thing is is the best sequence of that movie of course is the um super califragilistic whatever and that's like oh yeah two two and a half minutes but that's the one everyone remembers so if like i didn't remember the lamplighters thing technically i didn't remember the other one but i eventually did <clears throat> i remember that remember but Chim- like Chimney? if you say mary poppins most people are either gonna say super califragilistic or the sugar make the sugar go down right like yeah they're gonna pick one of those two songs Smooth most likely sugar, yeah very likely and those are the short ones and both julie andrews ones yeah so like and the fact like the kids don't show up until like 45 minutes into the movie and i don't know it's just weird people like it i think because they remember it from their childhood not because it's good oh no the the first mary poppins was a good oh, movie. no no that's what i'm referring to just just so i'm referring to the first one yeah just because you didn't like it doesn't mean that it wasn't a good movie it sucks donkey balls <laughs> I'll concede that just because I didn't like it doesn't mean it wasn't a good movie, but I definitely agree with Greg. Also, <laughs> Omar sucks donkey balls, and and that's fair. You're in, also true. You're well. Th- that's <laughs> that's actually truth. But that's like a that's like a Romanian <laughs> Christmas tradition, isn't it? Well, let's not go down that road right now. But yeah. <laughs> Up next, we are going to talk about a movie that I believe all of us saw yesterday or the day before, right around Christmas time. Yes. We saw Bumblebee. I saw it with Rob. Omar saw it by himself because he lives about three and a half hours away from us. And uh, Bumblebee was directed by Travis Knight, who directed the uh, stop motion animation film Kubo and the Two Strings. And (laughs) uh, it was produced by Michael Bay, who did all the other Transformers movies, uh, which we will probably touch on how much we didn't like them at some point. Uh, Starring Haley Starbridge. Sorry, Haley Steinfeld, who was excellent, and she was uh, known for True Grit originally, and she's she was actually having a very good couple weeks because she was also the voice of Gwen Stacy in the Spider Man movie we talked about last week. Uh, we've got John Cena, although I didn't see him in the movie. You know why, Rob? Uh, Say it. You can't see me. Exactly. Thank you. Uh, Jorge Lendeborg, who I do not know, but he was pretty good. He was the neighbor. Uh, John Ortiz and Pamela Adlin are some of the bigger names that I saw in there. Uh, The description based on uh, Paramount Pictures' description, uh, on the run in the year 1987, Bumblebee finds refuge in a junkyard in a small Californian beach town. Charlie, Haley Steinfeld, on the cusp of turning 18 and trying to find her place in the world, discovers Bumblebee, battle-scarred and broken. When Charlie revives him, she quickly learns this is no ordinary yellow VW bug. But what it should say is this is a badass throwback 80s action movie with giant freaking robots. And giant freaking robots that transform into other stuff. Correct. So what did you guys think of this movie? This is what Transformers was meant to be. Michael Bay, you suck. Okay. As a kid, Transformers was like my favorite thing. That and G.I. Joe, right? And as soon as I heard that they were making the first Transformers movie, I was like all over it. And I don't mind the other movies. I mean, they kind of get worse as they go. But this movie was exceptional. It was so good. It was like so good. It 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 really was. It really was. And I I like that they returned to the original concept character design. Yes, Transformers that we know. I mean, it was it was almost like eighties porn. Watching you know the original Optimus Prime in CGI. The original. That's what I was gonna say. The original awesome. sound wave. The original uh, shock wave. You know, you had all the original jets, Starscream, Thundercracker. Ramjet, I think those were the three. Even like yes. the, and uh, even like the um, second round where the wings were a little different. Like they had some of those guys too. Yes, you you even had you even had an appearance by RC. Yep. Did you see RC, RC and uh, on Cybertron? The uh, the one with the, the little fins on the side of his head. 
that was like the one that made all their weapons. Oh, you had well, you, yeah, you had Wheeljack, yeah. you had Ratchet, um, you had Cliff Jumper. So you had all the original, all the original Autobots. I saw Brawn in there. Um, it was it was absolutely phenomenal, and that was in the first like ten minutes of the movie. That was fantastic. So I'm gonna I'm gonna drop some of my my research here. The opening of the movie was it. the guy that opened the movie. He basically the director. He said he wanted to open the movie kind of like the beginning of Saving Private Ryan, where it just drops you right in the middle of the battle. Mission accomplished. And he wanted it to be the mission, battle. Mission one accomplished. Yeah. So he and he wanted to see the battle that he used to basically play with all the Transformers toys, which is the battle for Cybertron. And again, mission accomplished. Now, when he originally pitched, pitched this, that's basically how he pitched it. But he wanted to have Megatron in there. But the problem was, is at that point, and they still really don't know what they're doing, is that Megatron is currently f- stuck in a frozen spaceship or something on Earth based on the regular Transformers movie, showing, again, that, like, Michael Bay didn't... He just wanted a, a giant robot movie. He didn't want a... Story. Thematic. A story, or I'm thinking, like, uh, taking it to heart, or taking the original source material and having a love for the source material. Right. It just, I want to have robots fighting. I'm I'm hoping... I'm hoping that because they probably still could do it, but I'm really hoping that they use Bumblebee as a reboot as opposed to carrying on the same garbage storyline that Michael well, Bay gave us like, in the other three. I've movies. seen all of the Transformers movies, not all in the theater. I just you know have the the Blu-rays. I get them on Black Friday and watch them because some of the technical stuff they do very well, and I have to watch that kind of for work, uh, especially like the transforming of the tight opening sequences right. and stuff because that's a that's a plug-in for the program that I use and I teach. Mm-hmm. That's called Transform for C40 by Grayscale Gorilla. By Grayscale Gorilla. Uh, so there you go. Pitch. Um, also, for well-placed names, I just want to give a shout-out to AllSpark Publications. Yes, yeah, publications. AllSpark uh, Production Company. Was it, was, I think was it was AllSpark Productions. Uh, pro- yeah, productions. At the beginning of the movie. Yeah. AllSpark Productions. Great yeah. name choice. So it was kind of that stuff that really got me to be like, okay, this director knows what he's talking about and loves the source material. And as soon as I heard Soundwave, and you guys are going to have to be quiet for a moment, sorry. As soon as I heard Soundwave. So, as soon as I heard that, well, that wasn't exactly, but I heard that voice, but he was saying uh, Decepticons attack, I believe. I was, and saw, as Rob said, the original design. I was sold. I got little mini chills, not too big of chills. Sucked into the movie immediately. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's, I think, this was really the most 80s movie I've seen in a long time. It felt like it, it had the, the, the music was right, the look was right, the, it had the, the inexplicable high school bullies <laughs> that are so over the top that they, the one thing they decide to, to bully the lead character on is her dead dad. Which yeah, that was that was too much. Yeah, I was, was like, yeah, damn, like, <laughs> like you're poor and your car sucks and you can't tell your dad about it because he's dead. I was like, okay, that might have been a step too far, just a little bit. Like it could have been like you're awkward and you want my boyfriend and you can't have him. But no, they went, they went. There's uh, really no coming back from there. You should have your dad buy you a that new. Was way one. too much. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah, you bitch. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, female Johnny from uh, Karate Kid. 
<laughs> well said. <laughs> yeah. So all of that was good. Uh, it was the the character design, as Rob said, was excellent. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and ask Omar the the music question because I don't I don't think Rob cares too much about the music, although I'm sure he liked it because it was 80s and it was good. Yeah, there was music. So, what did you think? <laughs> yeah. That was the what did sound you think between the words. <laughs> oh, the struck me away like it was perfect because you. First of all, there were some great musical gags, which we'll get into in a second. But I mean, you had everything from like Rick Astley to uh, Bon Jovi, but it's not the Bon Jovi everybody knows. Remember, it was Runaway that's, that appeared in the movie, which is like an album or two before the big, huge, you know, Bon Jovi that everybody knows and loves. But, um, you know, they did Tears for Fears and Simple Minds and Steve Winwood. It was just so awesome. It was so good. But I love that you hear is the Smiths. Like right out of the gate, when at the right uh, with the first time that we see the main character Charlie, her actually the first that this character I didn't find annoying at all, and like she was the best. She was like the best main character. So and there's awesome. two things I really liked about it, and this will, we're going taking an aside here. One, she was a female character, but it wasn't a fact about the fact that she was a female. She was a str- she was a strong female character, but they right. didn't shove it in your face every like every ten seconds, which was which was good, and it made her even stronger. Two, she did the. The, uh, I don't know why I keep on not swearing tonight. It's like it's Omar. I swear with him all the time. Um, she did the fucking air drums to the Smith song when she was listening yes. to it. While she's yes. her teeth. And she did it just as poorly as I would have done it. <laughs> and she was like, she, she was my spirit animal from that point on. Like I loved her, but she owned and it. And I lived and I, I lived and died with her bad decisions. Like when she was pissed off or when the house got destroyed or whatever, I felt for her more than in than any character in 100%. any of the other Transformers movie. Well, the other live action, action Transformers movies. 100%. Because, I mean, we can't, we, we are completely passing by the animated Transformers movie, which I still cry about at least three times a year. Um, did you catch the piece. reference to that movie in the movie? In, in, in... I did, speaking of music. <clears throat> I actually tapped on Rob's shoulder. I'm like, dude, that's the song. I couldn't believe when I heard it. I, I like literally froze. The Touch by Stan Bush. Yeah. Right, like nobody, like nobody even remembers that song from the '80s. But I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. And that also is, well, we've discussed spoilers, so I don't feel bad. But that's, if I recall correctly, that's when Bumblebee learns how to communicate through the radio. That's one of the songs that he uses. Remember, she's about to to cliff dive. When he's trying yeah. to coax her, to, she's he's trying and to coax her. To I was just, I was yeah. like shocked. I was like, oh my god, that's from the movie, from the animated movie from the '80s. Like I didn't see that coming at all. But um, the music was amazing. The, one of the first things that you see that just put me right into the '80s is her alarm goes off. She, you know, she taps the alarm. Um, she grabs her Walkman, the yellow Walkman, puts it on, and it's the Smiths immediately. And there's a uh, Joy Division poster right behind. Correct. The and she's wearing she's wearing like Motorhead T-shirts and like all the stuff. Like it was amazing. And then there's another. There's a great gag. I laughed so hard. I I was the only one in the theater laughing like an idiot, but. She fixes Bumblebee's cassette player and she grabs, which for me, one of my favorite records of, of at least of the 80s, if not of all time. But the Smiths, it's called Strange Ways Here We Come. It's the last Smiths album before they, they break up. And uh, she puts it in and there's the song Girlfriend in a Coma starts. And <laughs> Bumblebee's just standing there like, what the hell is this shit? And he just like ejects the tape and it goes like crashing into a wall. And she goes, okay. All right, not a Smiths fan. That's fine. And then she grabs <laughs> "Never Gonna Give You Up" by Rick Astley, and he does it even quicker. Like, yeah, he totally rickrolled, and he smashes that tape into the wall like he just destroys it. 
And she's like, okay, that's not going to work either. But it was, I thought that was one of the greatest gags in the movie because, you know, being a musician. We got Rick Roll. music like Greg and I are. Like, I just loved it. But the, but the music was perfect. Um, and I was really a huge fan of, of the Charlie character. She did the job. She, she was just, she was, and I agree. She was really tough, but she wasn't like in your face. They weren't, like you said, they weren't pushing it into your face the whole time. You, I, you didn't get that vibe at all. You, she was just a character that you really identified with and you really wanted to succeed. Never, never once in the movie was, was there a, you can't do this. You're just a girl kind of thing never, going on. Never. It was never, never in that. Uh, the whole movie was amazing to me. I thought it was awesome. I wanted to give a shout out to Pamela Adlon. She plays Charlie's mom. And she spent no time running on the beach in her swimsuit. She, <laughs> but she's just such a cool, like she's just such a great actress and she's been in so many like amazing shows. She was in, um, this great show called Californication that was out years ago. She was in, uh, um, Rescue Me. She was, uh, she plays the, the voice of, of, um, What's the character's name? Um, from King of the Hill, she, her uh, she plays Bobby Hill in King of the Hill. That's her voice. Oh, really? Um, Holy she just shit. does so much great stuff. Oh, she's yeah, in yeah. Bob's Burgers. Yeah, yeah, she's she's awesome. She was in Big Bang Big Bang Theory for, uh, for a bunch of episodes. So much stuff, like just so much amazing stuff. Like just just an, 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 what a cool lady, Phineas and Ferb even. Oh, she's the mm-hmm. she's the voice of the baby in Big Bang Theory. So she has to mimic. The mom who passed away in real life. She's just so awesome. Thundercats. On the show. <clears throat> That's funny. Like she just does so much like cool stuff, and she's just like a actor. Um, her biggest thing lately was a TV show called Better Things, which I haven't seen, but it got really, really great reviews. It's still, I think it's still, I don't think it ended. I think it's still playing, but um, just amazing. Like she's just so cool. Pamela Adlon. Look her up for those of you who are interested in like a really, really diverse actor, just like a cool lady. But uh, she she plays Charlie's mom in the movie. The most one dimensional role I've ever seen her. She doesn't really particularly stand on this movie, but her, I noticed in Transformers, a lot of those background characters are so one-dimensional. They're, they're, it's intentionally done that way, but, but that's fine. You know, she, it would, she didn't take away from the movie or anything like that, but, but she does, she's really noticeable in this role. I didn't think it didn't like, didn't stand out. It didn't do anything major for the movie. You mentioned the other movies and how thin the characters were. Uh, one of the things I noticed was that, they uh this movie in, almost did a, away with the sins of the first Transformers movie across the board. So like for example, I I recently watched some of the Transformers movies with my kid maybe about I don't know 6 7 months ago. And I kind of jumped past certain parts and my wife was like, "Well, are there any parts that are really bad?" I'm like, "Well, there's a few things." And the one thing that stuck out to me was <clears throat> they couldn't put Megan Fox on the screen without panning the camera up from either her crotch or her butt. But you're right though. Yeah. All the way up. And like, okay. like in every shot, <clears throat> that's how they introduced her. And it was like, but we get it. She's hot. We get it. And like, I'm not quote unquote offended by that. I just don't need that. I don't care. Like to be completely honest, you guys have, yes, an attractive woman in your movie, but also some of the most gorgeous cars that have ever been built. And you shaky cam the cars as they're going around. And you slow pan up a 35 second shot of Megan Fox in jean shorts. And like, they didn't feel the need to do that, <clears throat> which I thought was great. Like, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like the girl in the movie dressed like I did in high school. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, what am I, who am I fooling? I dress like I do now. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
I mean, honestly, if you there's like a 50% chance if you run into me, I'm randomly going to be wearing a, a flannel and like a 80s or 90s inspired t-shirt. Right there. I'm right there beside but, you. 100%. <laughs> Whereas if you run into Rob, he's going to be wearing short cutoffs and a shirt tied around his chest. And there's going to be Michael Bay is going to be doing a slow pan up his groin. I'm so excited right now. Yeah, That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but but even like that and even all the other characters like the the Bay movies, it was either all about some story about Shia LaBeouf that you didn't care about or the Transformers. And this was them actually working together because the, in the other ones, they didn't like they were they did. But like it was all about that secret government thing or whatever. I don't know. It was just the balance wasn't there and it hurt the story. Whereas this one, the balance was there. And like I legitimately felt sad when they left at the end. Again, spoiler. Like, yeah. But there's an anecdote that I've heard more than once from different sources um, about the first Transformers movie where Michael Bay basically said to the, I guess the casting director, maybe he, he just turned to her and said for the, you know, for the, for the role that was eventually given to Megan Fox, but before they had Megan Fox, he basically turned and said, um, just get me the hottest woman that you could possibly find. That was it. That was, that was the criteria. Just get me the, the, the hottest chick you can find period. And so he used that obviously, like, like you were saying, he used that to gratuitous effect. Not that it bothered me. I mean, I, I'm hard to offend, but I agree with you that with this Charlie character, th there was none of that. There was absolutely none of that. As a matter of fact, the Charlie character for me kind of reminded me of my own daughters. Like that's how I thought of her. So like she was 18 and my daughters are much younger than that, but I was like, oh man, you know, like she's so awesome. Like I hope that when they're her age, like they're kind of like that. You know what I mean? Like she's just so cool. That's how I thought of it through the whole movie. So like every time she was sad, like I sympathized with her. Every time she was happy, I was like happy for her. It wasn't anything at all like like the Megan Fox or whatever other uh, actresses they used in the in the Michael Bay Transformers movies. Yeah, you. I mean, you were actually invested in the characters in this movie, whereas okay. in the other ones, I mean, the characters were kind of a throwaway. I mean, Shia LaBeouf was annoying as hell. And, I, I'm and okay. You, I, I, I'm a fan of Shia. I don't know why. I like him in, in all his movies, but... Moving on from that. <laughs> but he was annoying as hell in the <laughs> That's movie. And, it's going to be and, really hard um, to cut out all of his parts, Omar's parts of the podcast. Yeah. Now, now that we know that he's a... Uh, exactly. What's that? A The narrator that you can't trust in literature? <laughs> Who, me? Not an irresponsible... Yeah, no, there's like... Yeah. Not an irresponsible narrator, but uh, he has an untrustworthy narrator. <laughs> so that's going to suck. Since you... Yeah. You're fond of the LaBeouf. Yeah, yeah. Must French be for the beef. <laughs> That's a nickname I don't want to talk about, but yeah. Wow. <laughs> uh, so let's, I want to talk about the villains. We haven't done that yet. I liked them. Okay. I didn't know anything about them, like coming into the movie, but I liked that there was just two. I Still didn't really know a whole lot of them. I mean, it was kind of like they were just like lieutenants in the army. And that's what I thought was cool. Or in the day, they didn't, gun. they weren't, yeah. They didn't necessarily hate Bumblebee. They hated the fact that he was considered a deserter because he was fighting for the rebels. And they, that's why he had to go. And they they wanted to get information from him. And that was kind of it. Uh, the one did really like splatting humans, popping humans, so to speak. Yeah, yeah he really did. I like the sound yeah. they make. Turned him into this liquid goo. Uh, which is what kept me from bringing my child to that movie. That's fair. Um, but mm -hmm. I thought they were, I, I liked that there was only two. It wasn't, as Rob said, as we left the movie, that it wasn't Bumblebee fighting on, fighting like 10 different Transformers and 
you know, coming together. There was like real, there, he was so beaten up that there was real fear that he wouldn't even be able to take on the two that were still alive or that were, you know, there to hunt him down. Right. Or that, or that he couldn't take them on, you know, at the same time. And they, they kind of wrote that into the story so that he didn't really have to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. That, that it was only, it was essentially. They did a really good job of showing what a badass Bumblebee is, though. Like, he's only half the size of the other two, and he, like, really... They got that ass. right, too. They got that right, too, because the Transformer toy of Bumblebee was small. Mm, correct. He was one of the th the $3 to $4 ones that you could actually afford. Because <laughs> he was... That I could actually afford. But he was such a badass. Like, he's so good. They did a good job of that. Oh, the other thing, I liked a lot of the... Speaking of the bad guys, they, they, they show a couple of the really interesting... Um, like the like the background stuff, like how he loses his voice, yes, and the the part about the memory chip and stuff like that that had that's directly related to the bad guys, and I thought it was really really interesting how they did that, and 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 then he learns how to talk through the radio and stuff. I thought that was great that they did that. I, I love that. I was so happy to see that background that 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 background story. And and I don't mind that they kept that portion from the original or from the from the Michael Bay movies that Bumblebee couldn't talk and he used the uh, speakers. I think it added something, but for them to go through and show that and give give a reason for that going forward in the movie, I was like, okay, I can I can buy. Correct. This. It made it gave uh, an extra dimension because the original Bumblebee didn't have trouble speaking, but the like the Bumblebee in the cartoon didn't have trouble speaking, but. For them to keep that, I, it, it's it's an acceptable uh, character issue for Bumblebee, and I, and I had no problem with the way it was presented. Agreed. Were the two villains? I don't remember them from the original A's show or the toys. Is it just my lack of memory, or were they, were they made up for this movie? I think they might have been made up for the movie because I don't I don't remember the characters. I don't even mm -hmm. know their names in this movie. They were cool. I, I will look that up. I did agree that they were. They didn't like hate Bumblebee. I like that too. They didn't hate Bumblebee. They were just, that was their orders was to get rid of the traitor, whatever. Like, and they were very smart about using the humans in whatever way they could. Like it was, it was cool. It was well done. I thought. And even the end sequence, which is usually Agreed. ridiculous. They did a good job. Uh, real, real quick. Uh, uh, Dropkick is the, he's a name that popped up a few times in Transformer mythology, but never had a major role. He was the blue one. Um, so he was the blue one that was, wanting to you know squish wait was that the blue one was the lead right no i think the red one was the leader or the blue I'm one sure. was the one that wanted to wanted to pop people right but and then <clears throat> yeah the blue one was the one that wanted uh, to pop the other people. one's name is shatter there is no previous decepticon and transformers canon with that name there's never been a shatter toy um the main thing that we know is that she's a female decepticon and would presumably be the first major female transformer in the live action films Although you did R did see RC in the beginning of this movie, but it was interesting. I, I didn't think of it till just now. But like you have Charlie as the main character, and then Shatter, the red Decepticon that um, seemed to be the leader between the two of them. She seemed to be in charge. So you have two strong female leads, even though obviously one of them is a CGI yep. robot. But in the, the as far as the characters go, you have these two strong female leads. But they but it was never like I said earlier. It wasn't presented as like a an issue or. Uh, you know, the director trying to, to like say, hey, look at me, look how progressive we are. Like it was never done. I didn't even realize it until just now. Like I realized it was a female, uh, Shatter was, but it didn't occur to me that she's a f essentially a female lead as well in the movie. She was Angela Bassett, actually. That was the voice? Yeah. No kidding. That's awesome. Really? Do they say who the other voice was? If you can find that. 
That was uh, Justin <laughs> Thoreau who played the uh, the gambler in Justin Thoreau's in, awesome. uh, Star Wars: The Last Jedi, among, amongst other things. Oh, that's funny. He was also uh, Lord Garmadon in the Lego Ninjago movie. <clears throat> He's been in a bunch of stuff. So one of the other like semi villains in the movie. I mean, I know that we were talking about the uh, the Decepticons, but one of the other semi villains in the movie, John Cena. Um, as far as as far as a government soldier goes, um, I mean, he plays the role well. But I, I mean, it was the, the if there's any complaint that I have about the movie, it's the the mindless fervor with which the army guys go after Bumblebee and then just readily accept the bad guys. I, I didn't quite understand that. Um, you know, they're like, oh, these big monsters here, we've got to blow them up. And then the the other mon- the the other robots show up and they're like, oh, you know what? Maybe we can work with these guys. It's like, Let's attach them to our satellites. Yeah. Um, I'm like, really? What is going on? But, you know, John Cena was kind of over the top, but his character at least maintained the complete distrust of all the robots. He was the one guy throughout the whole movie that was going, are you effing kidding me? These guys, you're going to hook them up to our satellites? Are you insane? Like these are really picky things. And I, one of the things that made this movie a little different than other modern movies is they didn't feel the need to explain everything. That's a good point. So like, yeah, when you look back and watch eighties movies, like uh, the big example for me that I never understood as a kid is why the hell there were random Libyans driving around in America in Back to the Future? <laughs> like I, I to kill Doc Brown. Nobody knows. Like really? Like how? Like there's an entire Libyan army or a small group of, like Libyans here that randomly know about this doctor. Like I never understood that. Like '80s movies had these really inexplicable villains at times. Like it, Blues Brothers had the random Nazis. Like, right. <laughs> yeah, for for no reason. And like they didn't feel the need to explain it. And it was like, okay, like there's a lot of that kind of stuff in the eighties. And then now everything had to have an explanation. So like if they tried to like make big or one of those movies where people switch bodies or something that now they would try to do something where there was like a witch that did a curse and blah, 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 blah. Not just it happened. Right. And that's a big difference. And this movie kind of did that. Like some of the things that occurred that just occurred to me that I was so glad they didn't feel the need to explain is like, why did all of the Humvees already have those giant harpoons already set up to them that would be there to tear yeah. down a robot when yeah. they were just doing regular training exercises? That is not what's there on the top of a Humvee. But they didn't feel the need to explain it. They didn't feel the need to be like, oh, we knew that there were any robots coming at some point because we found this satellite transmission, blah, blah, blah. That's a good point. <laughs> like, they didn't need that shit. Like, some of the yeah. other things, like, you know, the fact that the radio worked immediately upon just a, a, placing it in Bumblebee. Like, uh, it it just worked. You know, the fact that shockwave was clearly in the shape of a eighties boombox, despite the fact that he had no idea what earth was. And that was the whole point of the movie is that they didn't know earth. Yeah. Sound wave rather. Sorry. I need to, and they're speaking English. and they're speaking English too. Like, so they don't know what earth is, but they know what a boombox is and a cassette tape. Cause it does look like it as it launched. But again, I also don't care. Some of the, some of the robots, even at the, in the beginning sequence, if I recall correctly, they already had, you know how when they're like in robot form, they have like the wheels and the doors and stuff that are like on their back. They kind of already looked like that. They hadn't been to Earth yet to like <laughs> they hadn't been there yet to like take the form of an Earth vehicle. They, they didn't know Earth existed, but right. And they, but they they already sort of had that same shape and, right. and and design. Like it didn't it didn't seem to matter. In the original Michael Bay movies, they sort of looked like just silverish robots at first. They didn't. 
Yeah, but you can't go by the Michael Bay movies because they're crap and they're a right. But the one stuff. thing that he sort of got was and like, the fact that they were all they. Well, the one thing that they were also overlooking, so it made the understanding who was fighting who really hard. It well, it, that's true. Because my kid, like, for, when I watched that movie, those movies with my kid, he was like, "Which one's the good guy? Which one's the bad guy?" Because that's his big thing. Like, God forbid there be anyone that are it's kind of neutral. You didn't have to explain that, but like, most of the time I didn't know until they had Megatron all messed up with his face all cut up and stuff. Right, you can't tell. I, there's a lot of times I was like, "Which one is the good guy and the bad guy?" Now, in the cartoon, did they did they not have those forms? Did I mean did they do the whole scanning thing and transform into into Earth vehicles once they got here, or did they transform mm-hmm. into those things while they were on Cybertron? I as think well? on Cybertron. I think I don't know because it's been a while, but I know the more Cybertronian ones looked like space cars, like RC and uh, right, right, the older one that was like friends with RC. Right, but that was also yeah. the next gen. Did because I, I think it may have been that the original Transformers cartoon actually just kind of started with them on Earth. Yeah, I don't remember them. Yeah, they were already just like that. I don't. They didn't scan anything and become something else. I don't recall that from from back in the day. Yeah, I don't believe so either. I think that's more of a modern, uh, uh, like a. It was our yellow sun that gave them the ability. <laughs> Correct. I think one of the good lines in the movie though was from John Cena. Where he's in this room with all of the, uh, like all these other military guys, and he's like, dude, they're called Decepticons. I mean, doesn't that ring, doesn't that set off any alarms? I was dying. I was like, <laughs> I, I love I was that line. <laughs> that made me laugh. Like, That's a that good point, man. Laugh. It's in the name. <laughs> John Cena was very much his character from WWE, especially his character from WWE when the Iraq War was going on, like his, the uber patriotic one. Yeah, it and it and it worked for the role in the movie and like I said he was over the top but I mean I kind of feel like that's what his character was supposed to be. His character was supposed to be the gung-ho, you know, military guy. So I mean I can let that go um just because the whole movie was was fantastic. It was it was just a really good movie from top to bottom. And you know the, these little things that I'm picking on now are just kind of little quibbles but agreed. The the thing that I kept thinking with him during the movie, and I, it's hard, I don't mean to, to compare, but I just kept thinking, uh, it's kind of, uh, he's a little hard to watch, but like you got over it very quickly. And I just kept thinking, he's no Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> like, he's just not. He's no rock. He's, no, he's not the rock. Like, he's just not. And and he's, I'm glad that I'm really happy for him and I don't dislike John Cena as a, an actor or as a, you know, whatever, WWE thing. I don't, I'm not into wrestling, but... um I don't dislike him and I, you know, he's been in episodes of psych and stuff like that. So I appreciate him, but um, it, it, he, he was so, he was such a, a prime example of one of those one dimensional characters for most of the movie. Well, but, but in all fairness, the, the rock needed a couple of movies to actually, to actually find his stride right? because his first couple of movies King, were absolute whatever. garbage and he was terrible. <laughs> no, his, his first oh one God. was that, that crime Which movie one? that was actually good. Um, it was... Uh, Before Squirt? Not Get Shorty. No, it was Not Get Shorty, but it was by the same writer. Really? Be Cool. It was Be Cool. Yeah, his first big movie other than being on... on uh, with, yeah, John Travolta, Uma Thurman, Vince Vaughn. Cedric the Entertainer, of course. Dude, he's in 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 things that are either in pre- or post-production right now. Wow. Including Suicide Squad 2? What? I did not know that. Holy cow, he was Cliff Jumper in Transformers he was? Uh, Prime, Episode 1. 
or one oh. episode. Yeah, he played Cliff Jumper. Some mean thing called Moana. Never. Been. I'm just. I'm kidding. You have daughters. So of course, you've heard of it. <laughs> of course, I've heard of it. I got to it. Okay, so uh, Rob, let's let's take us out here. What, what did you feel about the ending of the movie? Both the the action ending and the ending ending. Um, it was I, like I said before the the action ending, the battle between him and the two uh, Decepticon lieutenants was was very well done. I, I like the fact that they split them up and the the one lieutenant kept working on the transmission while the while the the subordinate, I guess, because I think the the female one was was higher ranking. While the subordinate came down and fought Bumblebee. Bumblebee took care of the subordinate and then pretty much got his ass handed to him by the lieutenant yeah. or whatever she was. Um and you know basically had to use the environment to beat to beat her and and I like that he got his ass beat and that it almost looked like he was going to lose. Um, it, it, it made you, it made you question whether or not he was going to survive. You're absolutely right. I mean, granted, you know, the movie's named after him. He's going to survive. You know, that's just how it goes. But, um, the, the thing that I really liked was the ending ending where instead of this whole, oh, you know, we're going to be friends. We're going to travel the world together and go off on, on madcap adventures. You know, the, the girl in a rare moment of, of, you know, hero rational rationalization says i i can't do this you know i have to live my life you have to live yours um i can't i I think it's one of those things where the the future of the franchise needed that but it was also the right thing between him accidentally destroying her house constantly putting her and her family in peril not on purpose just because it was the right answer right you know and it was like you have to go do what you're here for i saw you the message that burst out of your chest you need to do that, and I can't be part of it. Yeah, and and also just so well, you his know, first Greg, major starring role. Be cool was well, not was his first movie. movie. No, no, that's incorrect. Scorpion King came out in two thousand two. Be cool didn't come out till two thousand five, and he was also the Scorpion King in the Mummy Returns, and that was a terrible, mm-hmm. terrible role as well, which was a non-speaking role. But that was the one where he looked like he was made of plaster or whatever. CG. Yeah, it was awful. Yeah, it was terrible. He was also in Long Shot in two thousand one, mm-hmm. and even the rundown was before. Be cool, and he was great in the rundown. The rundown was awesome. That was a great movie. But but we're That's off topic again. To do. <laughs> Sorry. Interesting. Okay, and so go ahead and talk about the ending. Ending. The other part of the ending. Ending. The yes. the one where Bumblebee is reunited with Optimus Prime, who looks looks like who looks Prime. awesome in this movie. By the way, in all blocky goodness, but yes, he does the the blocky toy version, which. They said couldn't be done, but it looks awesome. It was the '80s trucker version? It was awesome. Yeah, and they and they went back and gave him back the the yellow Camaro at the end of the movie. I would have preferred for him to have stayed as the Beetle, um, but it did it did add for a funny interaction just before they split up, yeah. where the girl was like, "You mean you could have been a Camaro the whole time?" But and I love that that was another one of those things that they put in as his origin story, like with the voice, for example, that he, you know, he can't talk. They show how that happens. And then they show how he becomes the Camaro, which links again to the newer movies or whatever, to the newer plot line. But I just, I like that they did that. I thought that was really great. Well, guys, I think that closes out Bumblebee. If you guys are a fan of just straight up action movies, and if you felt like you've been burned by the previous Transformers movies, I highly suggest going to see this movie. It is better than those movies in every possible way, which we've talked about quite a bit. The other Definitely. the other thing is it is 
a it is a relatively small movie, despite the fact that it does start off on another planet. But it is a small movie, and there's there are things from '80s movies that you will find and love in it. You know the the government trying to take the military thing. The there's you could find you can look at '80s movies and be like, oh, this kind of reminds me of ET. They sealed off the house, or this kind of reminds me of War Games. Yeah, War Games. There's actually a reference to War Games in there. Uh, there's one the computer from War Games. They walk by it in the thing. Nice. Um, I didn't there's that. actually a reference. One of the big references. There's a Chinese restaurant that's the same name as the one from. Uh, Big Trouble in Little China. I missed that. Dang it. So there's, yeah, there's a lot of good 80s references in that movie. So even if you weren't alive in the 80s, um, like seriously, go see this movie. It was fun. Um, I really enjoyed, we all really enjoyed it. And it led to our Give Me Five question of the week, which was actually more difficult than I thought it would be when I posed it. And that question is, uh, what are the best movies set in the 80s but we're not filmed slash released in the eighties. And because Omar is the new Jimmy today, what, uh, you're going to have to go first. Oh man. Okay. The pressure. Omar gets to go first. Uh, his list is all porn by the way. (laughs) What's a boo cake. Well, Greg, when a man loves a woman very much, (laughs) (laughs) um, uh, mine. uh, Okay. Wow. It was. You're, you're correct. The question was harder than I thought it. I thought it would be initially. I had to actually do a little bit of research because I can't remember. I couldn't remember when certain things came out. But um, my list. Ooh, okay. My list in, in no particular order. Uh, one of my favorites is uh, Charlie Wilson. It has to actually be. It has to be in an well, order. Well, it isn't in order because I have to say because humans are linear and here we are. But my first one is going to be Charlie Wilson's War. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> he told you <laughs> but i can't decide which one i like better you know what i mean i i really should have uh called that helper monkey <laughs> that's fair <laughs> that's totally <laughs> fair but uh charlie wilson's war came out in 2007 but it's written by one of my favorite people aaron sorkin who did the west wing he did the a, a few good men he wrote uh, uh social network um and it's directed by somebody big too mike nichols who uh, directed the graduate and birdcage and Biloxi Blues, stuff like that. Um, Tom Hanks and Amy Adams, Julie Roberts, um, Philip Seymour Hoffman are all in the movie. But the whole movie takes place during the Cold War and the 80s. And uh, this is a true story about a real person. Charlie Wilson was a real person who um, tried. He was a congressman from Texas. And he basically puts together what amounts to billions and billions of dollars in funding for, uh, for the war in Afghanistan. Russia invades Afghanistan and we can't overtly help the, the Afghan people because it'll start World War III. And Charlie Wilson is instrumental in 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 uh, in in putting it putting together our 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 helping of the Afghan people. Inadvertently it leads to little problems like Osama bin Laden, but he didn't know that at the time. But the movie is absolutely fantastic and Tom Hanks again proves to be, you know, the dude. I mean he's just so um, so Charlie Wilson's Wars on my one of my list for the one of the best movies of the eighties. Um, there's some good music in there. David Bowie. My next one is Donnie Darko, which is from two thousand one. That's such a great movie. I mean, it's such a good movie. Um, two thousand and one, but it takes place in the eighties. Um, amazing soundtrack. 
amazing soundtrack. Um, Tears for Fears, uh, Joy Division, Echo and the Bunnymen with Killing Moon are on there. Um, there's a great Tears for Fears cover of a song called Mad World by uh, a guy named uh, Gary Jules. Um, so it's good. So good. It's so it's so fantastic. Like what an amazing look. And even the way they're used in the movie. Like you'll never forget the way that Head Over Heels by by Tears for Fears, by the way it's, mo- it's used in the movie. You'll never forget it's done so well with such great effect. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal's in it. Um, and it, it's kind of a sci-fi time travel situation for those of you that haven't seen it. It's a very bizarre movie. It's it's very odd, but it's so good. It's it's just so well done, um, and and it takes place. I don't remember the the specific year. I don't know even. I don't even know if it tells you the specific year, but it's clearly an eighties movie. Um, but that didn't come out till two thousand one. That was released. That was made in two thousand one. Um, Spy Game. My number three is Spy Game, starring Robert Redford and Brad Pitt. Another. I love that movie. It's one of my God. I forgot top about five that movie. favorite movies of all time. It's a phenomenal movie. Tony Scott directed it. Um, good choice. Good choice. He did True Romance, The Fan. He did that movie, The Gray, which is amazing. He's obviously brothers with Ridley Scott, who did The Martian and the Aliens movies and Gladiator, you know, Blade Runner. You know, this is like supreme movie making family right here. Um, but Spy Game also takes place, it kind of takes place more in the 2000s, but it, it spans a few different decades. And it shows the relationship between the Robert Redford character and the Brad Pitt character as Robert Redford teaches Brad Pitt how to be a CIA operative. So a good chunk of it has to do with the 80s and the Cold War and uh, uh, Beirut, uh, Lebanon, and, and, and different wars that were going on at the time. It's such a phenomenal movie. I, I forgot that Tony Scott had killed oh, himself. I forgot that as well. He he jumped off. That's right. Yeah, he jumped off of a bridge in San Pedro, California. But he directed Top Gun, Beverly Hills Cop There's Two, so The Last Boy Scout, True Romance, Crimson Tide. Like I, those they're, they're amazing. That family, like just those two, between Tony Scott and Ridley Scott. Like, come on, like how many how many do- dozens of movies did they do? Um, to which I always say, uh, if you are feeling depressed, call someone, talk to somebody. Anytime we mention the celebrity that passes on, we we tend to do 100%. that because there are, there are uh, answers. <laughs> There's better options. There's better options. Yes. You could start a podcast with Rob, for example. <laughs> That'll. Yeah. You, you want to know what depression is like? Let's do it. Try editing Rob. I will not be edited. Uh, my number four pick is really not that well known, but it was a really good movie that came up kind of for me out of nowhere. It's called This Is England. Um, the main character is a, well, one of the main characters, the biggest name in the movie is a dude named Stephen Graham. He, he was in Boardwalk Empire. He played Al Capone in Boardwalk Empire. Um, he was in the latest Pirates of the Caribbean movie. He was in the movie Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Um, this is England it takes place in 1983 with, uh, it's about like skinheads and not skinheads as in necessarily Nazis, but skinheads as in like working class Doc Martin boot wearing shaven headed people who were just trying to get by in, in the seedier parts of, of England. Um, very, very good movie. Like really, really well done. Very, very good writing an ending that 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 is just shocking but it's a very very cool movie i'm not going to get into what happens or whatever but it's awesome it's an amazing movie again it's called this is england i highly highly recommend that movie and it it captures the sort of darker side of the 80s you know uh, people think of the 80s as excess and um you know wall street and stuff like that 
this is the exact opposite. This is the people who kind of get their butts kicked, so to speak, um, on the other end of the, of the, uh, the wall street, uh, spectrum, if that makes any sense. And the last one is Wolf of Wall Street, speaking of, because that was just such a great movie. And Scorsese is one of my favorites and DiCaprio is awesome. But Wolf of Wall Street, I mean, that just captures 80s access to a T. And of course, that just came out a couple of years ago. But um, it, amazing movie overall. But those are my, it's very long. It's really good. It's really long though. Oh my God. Like it's, it, that almost didn't make my list because it was long. Like that was a watch over three separate viewings kind of movie for me. That's fair. But it's just such a great movie because Martin Scorsese is amazing. Like he's my and favorite yeah. director. And Margot Robbie. Well, and let's not go down that road <laughs> for sure. But, uh, yeah, no, that's just an amazing, amazing movie. And there's others that I wanted to add on my list, but there's no one, there's five answers. There's only ones. But Wolf of Wall Street, you know, we don't even need to get into the, it that much because so many people know about it. But, um, Great, great flick. I mean, period. You know, anytime I can throw Martin Scorsese into a list, you know, everybody wins. Well, as usually happens, I go second, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go again the five to one. And my uh, there were a couple ones that didn't make the list, but for different reasons. Um, I think like Rose Point Blank and Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion. I haven't seen those in a while. I love those movies, but they were set in the '80s via uh, flashback, so that's kind of what bumped them further down. Because it was all in the 80s. It was set more in the 90s with flashbacks to the 80s. Uh, the movie Drive, I don't think they ever tell you what time it, it is. So it was 80s inspired, but I don't think it was set in the 80s. But it's also very good and kind of led to the synthwave explosion that we are, that Jimmy and I are dealing with today. <clears throat> anyway, so I'm going to start with a lovely little comedy called Hot Tub Time Machine, where they go back to the 80s. And it's very joke, fake 80s, but it made me laugh. I like the cast. It was funnier than it should have been. And that's about it. American Psycho read the book, was fascinated, and it was one of those books that came seemed to come out in the 90s. I think it was the 90s. That was never not really about what it was about, like Fight Club and this one particularly. And I was kind of in that mood. Then the movie came out, and I was fascinated. The movie was also not really what it was about. And it put Christian Bale on the list because he had been in, like, Newsies. And I had no idea who he was, and then he was in that. And he's, you know, now possibly going to be up for an Academy Award for playing Dick Cheney. Mm -hmm. um, but it also had a great soundtrack. And they actually talked about the soundtrack in some ways, the way that, you know, like Omar and I talk about music when we're hanging out in the backyard, watching the pool corpses out of the, the building next door. So uh, from there, I'm going to go again based on the music. I'm going to go with The Wedding Singer. Fun movie. I remember seeing it on Valentine's Day many years ago in the theater. And great soundtrack. And... You know, it was one of those things where it actually brought a lot of this music back to me, as well as just being a fun movie. And I like Adam Sandler, at least his, his 90s stuff. Wolf of Wall Street, already talked about it, but it's there. Very quintessentially 80s and quintessentially 80s Miami and some of the areas that, you know, you people thought was, think about of being the 80s when they look back at that time period. My number one is one that, I don't know if a lot of people are going to know this one, but Adventureland uh, did. Did you guys see that? I have seen that, yes. Uh, that was filmed, which I think I've talked about this before, actually. That was filmed at Kennywood, which is mm -hmm. uh, the theme park I used to go to all the time. And, um, you know, it's it was all Pittsburgh. And I grew up in Pittsburgh in the 80s. So that movie, there were so many things that happened in that movie that it was like either I'd been there or I lived that exact moment at that place. Um, in fact, 
Ryan Reynolds character. He, uh, which I always find it weird that he's in there. I'm trying, yeah, Ryan Reynolds, right? He's in there. He plays like the, uh, I thought he played it. He's, I'm not seeing him in the uh, credits, but I'm pretty sure he's in there. <clears throat> the older guy. He was, he was the, the. Yeah, there he is. Yeah. He's not, he's not top billing, which is weird. But he played like a guy at this like little shooting gallery that they had in like the Western portion of Kennywood. And I used to hang out that thing all the time. And I never got to play it because it was extra money. And my dad didn't want to spend the money on that because he spent the money on the tickets and the games and the food and whatever. So the shooting gallery that wasn't really a game is just like light up things and make it move. We couldn't, we didn't do it. But so like, I knew exactly what those things felt like. I knew what they looked like. And the movie was just really good. It was kind of a coming into age story. Again, good music. You know, the guy falls in love with the girl. It's a you know, Jesse Eisenberg. Uh, you know, uh, this they they did billing in this. They, Kristen Wiig's in it, of course. Uh, Kristen Stewart, uh, Martin Starr, who was the science teacher in in uh, Spider Man Homecoming, and is on Silicon Valley. So excellent movie, really funny, and set in 1987. I've, so that's my number one. I've not seen this movie. When did it come out? Uh, 2009. Oh, okay. I haven't seen it. I've heard of it. Uh, I, I well, obviously, highly suggested. Oh, for sure. No, I'm. That's next on my list for sure. It sounds awesome. Oh, Rob. Yes. Does that mean it's my turn? I have to say that when we first came up with this with this idea for the list for tonight, um, I thought we were going to have a lot of crossover. As it turns out, we don't. Um, and I'm and I'm honestly kind of surprised because I mean I think the only movie that I had written down in my eleven movie list that even shares the same one of the same spots with you guys is Wedding Singer. And I had Wedding Singer written down and it didn't even make my list. I was like, holy crap. Um, but I would like to point out that this year we did get three movies that were set in the eighties. Um, one of, of two of which actually made my list. Um, Bumblebee and another one that we actually reviewed. Uh, I'm trying to remember. I, I, I knew there's going to be some that I missed because they were, Either an action, an action movie, Atomic Blonde. We'll, right? we'll get there. We'll get there. There, there are there are a couple of movies that didn't make my list, and I'll I'll, I'll give you some um, some honorable mention just in case because my number one is actually going to be a judgment call, um, and and I'll get to that when we get there. Um, but there were Ooh. a couple that didn't make my list. Uh, Boys in the Damn, Hood, well done. Uh, great movie, set in the eighties, uh, was released in nineteen ninety one. Um, one of the movies that came out this year that didn't, that didn't make my list, but I, I'll, largely because I didn't see it, but I heard it was excellent was Bohemian Rhapsody. That was mo- largely set in the seventies. Like the, the main parts really happened in the seventies, early eighties, and then the early nineties, okay. but still there's still um, a lot of eighties in there. But then again, Radio Gaga. Eh. That's fair. <laughs> uh, one of the movies on my list that didn't make it was The Wedding Singer. The Wedding Singer was nice. one of them. Um, I also had The Watchmen on there. Oh yeah, kind of an alternate '80s, right? And and I know that it didn't that it didn't receive a lot of attention. A lot of people didn't like it. I actually enjoyed it. I I liked the movie. I thought it was very interesting. It was it was an interesting take. Um, but yeah, I I liked. I completely forgot about that movie. I I liked uh, that would have been on my list if I remembered. Um, but the ones there were two that were excluded from my list for technicalities. Um, and one of them was the best movie of the year, the year it came out. And that was Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump was released in 1994. It was set, I believe, in 1981. But the reason it didn't make my list was because most of the movie actually occurred in a flashback 
before the 80s. Um, Because the movie was set in the time that he was sitting on the bench telling his life story to the old lady on the bench. And that was in the 80s. But everything else that happened before that was not in the 80s. So I kind of eliminated that one based on the fact that technically it was set in the 80s, but most of it didn't happen in the 80s, if you catch my drift. Well, well, Rob, that's that's sad. But life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. The other one I eliminated was Hunt for Red October. Yes, it was set in the 80s. By, but it was, by Tony Scott, by the way. But it was released in 1990, so largely it was probably produced, filmed, and shot in the 80s. So um, so I eliminated it for that reason. But then I'll get to my list. At number five, I'll start with a, uh, a surprising actual... Uh, I've heard of it. Very Never good seen it. kind of horror slash love movie. And that would be a foreign film about a young vampire and a little boy called Let the Right One In. Have you seen that? I have not seen it, but Jimmy has told me to see it. It's it's actually really good. It's 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 cute. It's it's t- well, I don't know that I would use the word cute, but the little boy is being bullied and the little girl vampire befriends the little boy and she kind of takes care of his problem. So, but it's it's a good movie and you should check it out if you haven't seen it. At number four, I'm going to go with a movie that we reviewed earlier this year, and that's going to be Summer of 84. Oh, uh, yeah. It's in the title. Yeah. Did you forget that one, Greg? I did. I actually, I actually really enjoyed that movie. Really enjoyed that movie. And it wasn't just that we were sitting there watching it with the uh, with one of the stars from the that, movie. That would have been a strong um, contender. Um, Mandy is also set in the 80s, too, which we also, we also talked about. Uh, it wouldn't have been on my list. Mm-hmm. It was good, but it wasn't. I mean, Jimmy loves that movie, so it would be on his list. Right. Um, but Summer of 84, I thought, was really, really well done movie. Um, really brought me back to the 80s. And again, if you haven't seen that one, I highly recommend it. Yeah. Excellent suspense. Yes. Yes. Number three, I'm going to go with Bumblebee. I actually really enjoyed it. Very, very good. This is what the Transformer movie should have been. And I know we've said that already, but... We, we talked about it at length tonight, and, you know, I won't go on about it, but it's it's number three on my list. Number two is going to be Atomic Blonde. Wow. Very good secret agent movie starring a very strong female lead. Very stylish. Yes, very stylistically 80s, set at the end, I believe, uh, 89. I believe it's mm-hmm. set in 89. Like Yeah, because of uh, the Berlin Wall is about to come down. When did the uh, Berlin Wall come down, Omar? It was November 9th, 1989. There you go. So it was set in late 89, right before the the fall of the Berlin Wall. Now, for my number one, I'm going to need a judgment ruling because to me... that Would it irritate you to no end if I said no? Um, because that's going to... Because I'll just say no right now. It, it will slide everything up and I'll take one of the uh, one of the honorable mentions as my number five. It'll probably be Watchmen. Um to me, it's got a very 80s feel to it. Um, it's very grainy. It's it, They don't really have any like huge technological things in the movie. I think there's still like payphones and stuff that they use um, or that they try to use. Um, but it's probably one of the most plausible and one of the best zombie movies ever made. And that's going to be 28 Days Later. Now, they never say when it's actually set. Interesting. But to me, it's got an 80s feel to it. What do you think? I don't feel like it's 80s at all. Because I tried to find when it was set. I couldn't find anything that says 
when the movie's actually set. It was released in 2002. No, I feel like it's set whenever, whatever year it was released. Oh, you don't, you don't feel like it's set in the 80s? To me, it was, you know, whatever modern, like you said, what'd you, what'd you say, 2002? I don't, I didn't get an 80s vibe, but not even a little. But, 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 but I agree with you. There was no, yeah, mm-hmm. it doesn't really say. At the beginning, they show like newspaper clippings. I guess if you would like pause it and somehow, but I didn't get an 80s vibe. Like I didn't, I didn't get any vibe. I just got like whatever modern day, you know what I mean? But I love that movie. I mean, I love that movie. Because it, it, so, it at particular points, he like, he like tries to, um, he picks up a, a uh, not a cell phone, but a, a payphone, and I'm like, I don't even know where there's a payphone anywhere anymore. That's a good point. In 2002, there was. It wasn't until iPhones that came out, really. That's true, actually. There was also uh, those boxes where you could put a quarter in and get a newspaper. They were still around in 2002. Well, uh, I'm going to have to. So we, we did stop the recording. You, you guys probably won't notice that. But it did take us a while to look it up for Greg to be the naysayer douchebag. But go ahead, yeah, I get Greg. To be, be the naysayer I get to be, douchebag. Mr. Mr. Nugget of Pants here. I found some newspaper clippings, and I did find some some shots. And the military is in fact wearing digital camouflage, which was not out in the eighties. Some of the newspaper mm-hmm. clippings uh, talked about like super chefs or you know chefs from a chef TV channel, which did not exist in the eighties. So I do not believe that. I think that movie is supposed to be ambiguous, and they pulled the technology out there so it could really be at any time. So it is not a right. quintessential well, it, and 80s also movie. there was. And also there was the whole the the other thing was was that I I thought I remembered the the whole animal rights thing um being big in the 80s you know with the people breaking in at the at the very beginning of the movie that was big in the 90s to release too. the monkey cuz yeah, Omar and I used to go and steal um lab animals monkeys yeah, yeah. And rabbits and whatnot. Yeah but that's a whole other thing we can't talk about that for legal reasons. Yeah. Though in high school I did wear a um like a anti fur pin on my jean jacket which I actually have a kind of <laughs> It's hanging behind me. Well, but it's not fur. It's not fur. So it would have been, it would have been much much more funny if you'd have worn an anti fur pin on your leather jacket. Yeah, I mean, it had a mink collar, but all right. Well, so I will just move Atomic Blonde up to number one, and I'll put Watchmen down at number at number five. Both okay. great movies. So those were our picks. I am guessing you guys have a ton of these answers as well out there because there's a lot of them. There's stuff that I love that didn't yeah, make it on. There really is. Yeah, two big ones for me were Boys in the Hood and Watchmen. I can't believe I didn't even I, they didn't even occur to me. And those movies are f- amazing. Are we are we gonna fight this out for a top for a definitive five? Uh, I'm not sure. We could try. I'm flexible. <laughs> we could try. I I definitely feel that Summer of '84 yeah. should be on there, maybe towards the bottom. Yeah, Summer of '84 um, is a big one. Wedding Singer. We missed I SLC Punk. Atomic Blonde SLC Punk as there. well, but. Um, like I was the big ones I would say is Summer '84, Wolf of Wall Street, Wedding Singer, American Psycho. I, I, the, the, the problem with that movie is it it yeah, well it just bugged me too. Like it was just ridiculous. Like it was just I, I I know that that was the point, but it was just so ridiculous that I was like I, I didn't even I didn't even catch that it was satire. Like it was just so. But I never read the book. You know what I mean? So you have a different background with it than I do. So I'd be willing to put Atomic Blonde on there late because I I kind of forgot that was '80s too. And Bumblebee. I didn't add Bumblebee because I just felt like... It's it was, fresh on the mind. It was that, cheating, that's why I didn't put it on either. <clears throat> Great movie, though. I mean... That would be pandering. <laughs> but how about one of the ones that, that you guys forgot? Say, Boys in the Hood or Watchmen? Both, frankly. Does Boys in the Hood lead, lead into the 90s? It has to. It does, because of um, the Dr. Dre stuff. 
which didn't start till like 91 or 92. Well, well, no, it couldn't have been 92 because Boys in the Hood was released in 91. But like NWA was like 89. You know what I mean? So this is uh, verging on a terrible radio here. So let's. uh, (laughs) I think we've crossed that line. Summer of summer of 84. Yeah. Summer of 84. I'll put in there. I'll put Bumblebee. This is in no order whatsoever. Um, Wedding Singer made it to a bunch of our lists. That was a good one. Um, Watchmen. See, okay. Boys in the Hood is set in '84. Oh, by the yeah. way, well, at least the beginning when they're kids. I was, I was going, I was going quintessential '80s movies. Like that was an overview of a lot of it. Like even, even though Watchmen is set in the '80s, it's actually a different version of the '80s that Reagan never, that Reagan never left office. No, Nixon. Nixon never left office. He was like in his fourth term or something. So that's why that wouldn't make it for me, despite the fact that I like it and own it twice. Actually, I love that movie. I own it too. I love it. Uh, Wolf of Wall Street's on there. I can give you and, that. And Atomic Blonde. So I think I, I kind of made a, a little list here. I did Atomic Blonde fifth because it does have the historical background of what it was like when the Berlin Wall went down. I did Bumblebee because Bumblebee okay. it was the kind of the epitome of an action movie of the 80s, and it really harkened back to... And the the most truest to the Transformers cartoon, you know, the Transformers that yeah. we knew. And, and it was a love, it was a love a letter kid, to the eighties. Um, summer of eighty four, yeah. because that one actually probably would score higher for both for me and Rob since we've seen it because it was us in the eighties and it's it was. I would definitely I would put Summer of eighty four ahead of Wedding Singer because that that movie put me back. Yeah, it was in what we were actually doing in the eighties at our age. Yeah, and then so that would be two. Wedding Singer number three, because that was a parody of the 80s. It was what, right. as I always call it, it's the sorority girl version of the 80s <laughs> when they do like an 80s party. That's fair. Like they all get neon sunglasses mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and mesh leggings and that's <laughs> it, which did happen. But like the Americans, the TV show that's, which we couldn't pick because it was a TV show, was a much better view of the 80s than the Wedding Singer. But Very well said. Still. And then Wolf of Wall Street, because it does get the over, over the top. It has the the pedigree of the director and all that, I think that would be no, number one. Although again, it's still pin, although it's still can, pinning it down it to the financial sector. But you know, there was real, there was a real divide between the mega rich and the mega poor in the eighties, and that's and it started because of Reagan's policies and combining all of these movies together with our life experiences would give us a good view of what the eighties was like for people that didn't live in it. So I think that's that's got to be it. Yeah, the eighties. I you did not like. I hate the eighties. Didn't you live under a dictatorship in the 80s? I mean, I moved here in 80 from Romania. You know, I was four. But I went and visited family throughout the 80s behind the so-called Iron Curtain for so many years that, like, I just – that's why so many of – if you go back and listen to my picks, they're all movies about the the Cold War. Um, Atomic Blonde was gonna, was another one that I, th- I thought of putting on there. But um, they're all about being in communist Europe, you know, which is where I was born. And it's – it still colors my opinion of the eighties to the point where I like, like I really don't like the eighties. You know, there's a lot of good stuff about the eighties, obviously music and movies and stuff like that. But, but I remember my family living in like a fair amount of poverty because of communist policies and stuff like that. You know what I mean? So I see the other side of it. It's not just wall street and back to the future. You know what I mean? So, um, (laughs) the random Libyans with AK 47s and rocket launchers or whatever the hell they had. But that's like, yeah, exactly. At, at a mall, Hilldale or whatever. Cleveland wasn't it? No, not Hilldale. Was it Hilldale? Sunnydale, California. It was like was that what it was? Suburb. It was like twin. It was twin. It was Twin Pines. 
because then one of them gets yeah because then it gets one of the pines get knocked gets knocked down by the car and it becomes lone pines oh lone god pines. that's right you know what honestly one of the first things i thought about when you said the the when we talked about like the 80s was the always sunny in philadelphia episode where they go skiing and it's like a whole 80s parody but I was like, oh, I can't use it because it's a TV show. But it was like, it's brilliant. It's so brilliant. It's such a great parody of 80s movies. Um, obviously, you know, it didn't work. But uh, I don't know. I just, I, that show is like fucking amazing. But anyway. Yeah. Well, I am going to close out here. So, guys, thank you for listening. If you have any of your own 80s shows, or 80s movies, rather, that were not made in the 80s, feel free to send them to our facebook page or our email or our twitter or any of our any number of things uh we will be here hopefully next week with our top picks of 2018 and we'll be doing the best movies books video games maybe a few surprises along the way and jimmy will no doubt want to add his two cents to this question so i have a feeling we'll be seeing this question again quite possibly and we we failed our listeners once more because this episode did not deliver what was promised and there was absolutely none of Jason Momoa's pecs. But fear not. Yeah, that's true. Fear not. That will come. I saw Aquaman today. I actually... So Rob will also come. I, I, oh, I see what you did there. I actually enjoyed it. So hopefully DC can... can and he's going to enjoy it two or three more times tonight. Probably. Oh, that's so bad. 